Well, 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 welcome back to Joyride. I am Jared Brandon Flandy, and... I am Adam Mendenhall. And this is the show where we talk about all things transportation and adventure. And since this is our latest episode, how are you doing, Adam? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing all right, but I do have a question here for you. What is one of your favorite British cars of all time? Ooh, I have to go with uh, a Aston Martin DB5. Now, that is an excellent choice, but I do have an extra question for you. What do you think of Triumphs and MGs? Uh, both of those cars are fun for the uh, countryside, open road enthusiast, or avid winery visitor. And on that note, I'd like to actually mention something from one of our sponsors who specializes in those very kind of cars. And this is from British Parts Northwest. So since 1982, British Parts Northwest has been your source for all your British car needs. They have knowledgeable staff who can help you find whatever you need to make sure your car is in the best condition possible. They carry quality parts brands such as Lucas, TRW, and Borg and Beck. British Parts Northwest is based out of the United States, but ships both domestically and internationally, and offers same-day shipping as well. You can place your order by phone by calling this number, 503-864-2001. That number again is 503-864-2001. You can also place your order online by going to bpnorthwest.com. Remember to spell out the word Northwest. British Parts is celebrating its 40th anniversary by teaming up with the Starstruck Podcast Network to bring you hit shows like Joyride. To claim 10% off on your next online purchase at bpnorthwest.com, use discount code JOYRIDE. That's discount code JOYRIDE. We'd also like to give an additional shout-out to Noah Norwood of the Hot Rod Kid podcast. He brings in all sorts of different automotive enthusiasts, as well as other people involved with the Hot Rod community. He also is a professional restorer of classic cars, such as 1960s Mustangs, way back to the old V8s from the early Ford era. And once again, his podcast is the Hot Rod Kid podcast, and we do strongly suggest you listen to that. Other than that, we'd also like to point out, Adam, that uh, we do have some social media pages. If you are a listener to the show, that might be an, an extra bonus to you. We have um, a Instagram page, which is Podcast Joyride. That gives you some of the visuals that you might not be able to really get with if you're just listening to us. But if you go to that, uh, our Instagram page, you can see some of the things we're talking about. Uh, also, our parent company, which where some of these episodes are also located at, is uh, StarstruckCompany.com. It also features other projects me and Adam have worked on, including the Half-Life of Genius, a documentary about Raymer Schreiber in the early atomic age, which is available on Amazon Prime currently. So other than that, this is going to be a casual chat episode, and Adam, would you uh, please tell me and the listeners what we will be having our little chat about today? Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, iconic movie cars, past, present, and the future. Where is it going? What makes a car iconic to endure the ages? What do you think makes a classic movie car that endures the ages? 
Well, obviously, uh, aesthetic design, um, eye-catching, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with just the core model of the car itself. And, uh, of course, I'm sure people already have a, an idea where we're going to go with this with a few examples. But, um, you know, you look at um, the, right off the top of my head, the Ecto-1, uh, the Ghostbuster car. I mean, that was a 1959 Cadillac Miller Meteor Centennial that they used as a base uh, for that. And, you know, that's just, uh, that has some lines that just seem to be, timeless in a way but also take you back to a particular era of the 1950s now correct me if i'm wrong was that an ambulance originally yes majority of them were ambulances um some were used as hearses but majority of them were ambulances (laughs) and i'm going to be wrong on this number but i know there was less than somewhere around only a hundred produced or less than a hundred in exist i think only less than a hundred in existence today that's what makes them so (laughs) valuable and Everyone that wants to build an Ecto-1, I mean, to get one of those cars, even a rust bucket, I mean, it's it's just extremely difficult, let alone the price is typically pretty steep. So they used them both as ambulances and hearses? Is yes. that They were retrofitted for that? Well, I think a hearse is obviously appropriate for Ghostbusters. But <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely, obviously, for that aspect. <laughs> you know, okay, so kind of on that note, do you ever remember that movie? I mean, it's very obscure these days, I know, but it, Doc Hollywood with Michael J. Fox, like right after Back to the Future, where he was the doctor. Yes. And they had, it was supposed to be, he was supposed to be like, a, uh, you know, working as a small country doctor. And I remember the, the gal that worked as the ambulance driver, it was something kind of like an Ecto-1. It was a really old school style ambulance. It was, it? yeah. I think, I, I'm trying to think uh, what era that one was from. I want to say it was late 60s, early 70s, but it was very similar in some regards, but just a different model vehicle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Imagine if you, you you call up 911 and you're like, oh my God, I, I, I just, there's, I, I'm having appendicitis and one of those goofy looking things pulls up in your driveway. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, I guess there's too many similarities between that and the hearse obviously even today right no, I mean, it's just like the, it's the wrong message it's the wrong message yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's like if you might make it but if you don't well this will double as another yeah. vehicle yes. <laughs> two for one two for one. Oh yeah 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 but it's just uh you know you look at that that car i mean what a great job obviously you know dan Aykroyd had a lot of involvement with the design of the car all the uh, modifications that were made to make it the ghostbuster ecto-1 and here we are nearly 40 years later i mean it's what 38 years this year that uh the car still is ever as ever popular as it was back then um the few you know, models that are in private ownership where people have retrofitted that that era of car to an Ecto-1. I mean, talk about a showstopper and a crowd gatherer. I mean, that's just, uh, it's a huge attraction. And um, um, what a, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that, uh, again, it's just amazing that it, it maintains its popularity amongst the generations uh, yet today. And I was, I think I said it one of the one of the episodes this season. I was at the Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles, and they did have an Ecto One there. Oh, I don't know if it was they call it because there's you know picture cars in general. That's what they call it in movies. You know the, the cars that literally are in the picture. You know aptly named. But then there's what are called hero cars, and hero cars are the car where it is the most photographed of all the different because they use usually different vehicle different copies of the same vehicle mm-hmm. depending upon what they need so i don't know if that was a hero car but i did see one that was that was really neat to see up close 
Yeah, it's it's something else. Uh, a buddy of mine uh, about ten years ago, he was working for a Discount Tire down in um, San Diego, California, out in La Jolla, a wealthy area. And there was a local gentleman there that actually owned and had a a legit Ecto One, fully modified to be as movie accurate as possible. And he brought it in to have the tires changed. And that, that there was a crowd of people gathering around that, just seeing that car at uh, at a parked at a discount tire and then up on a lift. Uh, yeah, it was. Well, Probably the most exciting thing has been at Discount Tire for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, 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 actually, I think it was. <laughs> All right. Well, aside from the Ecto-1, what, what is another car that really stands out to mind, a movie car that stands out to mind to you? Well, again, you know, same era. I mean, there's a couple more, um, you know, prior to that, uh, needless to say, the Bat- Batmobile, um, whether it was the Adam West 1960s version or you get into, of course, what we grew up with, the Michael Keaton uh, 1989 Batmobile um, which was essentially a you know a modified or stretched Corvette, extremely modified, Ooh, really? um, right. to to get that shape. Uh, you know that's another one. And there's just you know the Batmobile. There's just so many different versions over the years. Uh, Michael Keaton had you know essentially the same car in two movies, and then you move on to um, Val Kilmer, who had a, a very different car. And then after that, you know we get into um, you know the uh, Christian Bale where, you know, that was neat in its own regard because that car was completely made from scratch to be, you know, the tumbler, the Batmobile of its day. And, and it was fully operational and functional. It wasn't just a, a prop car. I mean, that was even featured on Jay Leno's Garage, which is really neat. Yeah, and I'll get to that for in a second here. But I want to go back a little bit. Let's start at the Adam West Batmobile. You know, of course, that was the lightest the uh, you know Dark Knight has ever been. <laughs> yeah. What was that? Because I have seen one of the Batmobiles, once again, at Peterson. And but what was the base of that? Do you know? Um, let me check here. It was something. It was it was a mainstream car, wasn't it? And it then, was. Yeah, yes. and then they and they modified it to make it look more you know Batmobile esque. If that's so what that <laughs> that was uh, roughly it was a 1955 or 56 Lincoln Futura uh, car, a concept car that was modified <laughs> by famed Hollywood car designer George Barris. Oh, so it was a concept car. Okay. Yeah. That that's another thing that always kind of grinds my gears is like when you see when they any man, manufacturer comes out with a concept car, it's just like why don't they just make it look like that for the production model? <laughs> Sometimes you know they get it right right out of the gates. So you yeah. wonder why they didn't carry on more of the features into the production. It just model. looks they look cool. Concept cars always look cool. I mean, they always do. <laughs> and then when you get up to the Michael Keaton era, which I think is you know the, or the Tim Burton Michael Keaton era, which I think is you know really still stands up pretty good in terms of Batman movies to this day. Yeah, it's very arguable, still the most iconic. And again, this is a, a very you know, big debated topic amongst the internet and, you know, uh, fan groups of Batman. But uh, that one, really, the imagery of the car um, is very much arguably the most iconic of the Batmobiles over the years. And you said it was a Corvette base? Yeah, Corvette base. Yeah, it was. And, you know, part of it might have been, I mean, that movie was a huge success. And then, again, the marketing that went with it. I mean, you remember back as we were kids, I mean, they had Batman on everything. I oh, mean, yeah. it was just everywhere. So, you know, that juggernaut alone really kind of cemented it in pop culture on its own. And I'm not I'm not having a go at Marvel, so please don't even take it that way. But I remember, you know, growing up, you know, Batman was the superhero and maybe a little bit with Spider-Man, you know, when you got into that Tobey Maguire, but when the Marvel cinematic universe came on, it was like iron who, (laughs) you know, it's like, a lot of people were not very familiar with it at, at that time. Those Marvel characters. No, they were not. No, absolutely not. I mean, Batman, 
Batman goes back to, I mean, you're looking at uh, the late 1930s, early 40s there. I mean, that was, uh, you know, Bob Kane, the creator yeah, of just, Batman. just so, been around so long. Been around so long, yeah. along with Superman. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, it really had quite an evolution with the character over the years. And so if we move on to the Tumblr, and I'm getting my source here, it was an old Top Gear episode. But remember, I think they said it was a British-based company that had built that. And they were the only engineering firm that said, we could, we think we could do it. Everyone else said, no, I don't think it's possible. And, but obviously, they made it happen. And it actually isn't just a prop. It's a functioning vehicle, right? It is, yeah. And it, <laughs> it, it operated off of a, uh, a GM small block uh, V8 that was high output. I think it was right around 500 horsepower, maybe 550 um, on the high-end um, V8 that powered the vehicle. And it was fu- fully functional. I mean, it, it was really neat to see that. I... I I didn't even know until after the movie had been made and, you know, it was featured on a couple different shows, including Jay Leno's Garage, of how legit that was. They took it out on the open roads there in LA and drove it around. That was so cool. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind me mentioning, you know, this one, I know it might seem a little basic, but uh, you know, it, probably one of the most iconic movie cars of all time is the Volkswagen Beetle via Herbie, of course. Herbie the love bug. <laughs> And I, that when you know, I, I realize that you know it's a Disney movie. It's not quite as heavy as some of these other ones we're talking about. But they went through a long list of cars before they settled on it. They looked at MGs. They looked at I know for certain um, all kinds of things like that. And eventually they settled on the Beetle because it just looked the most friendly. Was my understanding. I could see that, especially for, you know, that was a movie that appealed to, you know, children, obviously, and, uh, you know, was entertaining for adults alike. So, I mean, it was, uh, <laughs> and such a, just a, you know, again, another iconic car of the era that was repurposed into a race car and immortalized in that regard. And, I mean, it looked cute on the outside, but the inside it wasn't. They basically tore out, this is my understanding anyway, all these stock Volkswagen stuff, and they put in Porsche motors and that kind of thing. To oh, make, did they? Yes, because oh. you know, Volks, Volkswagen and Porsche are pretty much cousins to each other, so it was pretty easy for them to make them fit. But that's how they made those go faster than an actual Beetle could go. <laughs> Mind you, they did do, and I, I, don't get me wrong, I've used some of these little like practical effects on the scenes I've shot, but what they would do is they would take dirt and they would shovel it and spread it out against the sides of the road. And they'd have the stunt driver intentionally drive over those piles of dirt and make that poof effect to make it look like it was going even faster i mean it's simple but it is effective it really does work uh, it is well that's interesting yeah. Yeah, all the little tricks they used to use yeah. oh boy yeah there's a lot of neat ones and of course this one has been covered on previous podcasts but um the uh 81 delorean of course of back oh, of to the course. future i mean yeah. that's arguably the most popular if not right there i mean equally with the ecto-1 um that car again what they did with it modifications a lot of you know random parts and pieces that they put on there that were off old you know military for military surplus um you know variety of components that have since been obviously identified by many people and those cars have been reproduced there's people's like people like um, um bob's prop shop who who you know will modify and, and, and convert your current DeLorean into a Back to the Future DeLorean. And, I mean, as close, as screen accurate as you can get. And he's done, I forget how many cars at this point. I mean, it's somewhere around 30 to 50 cars, wow. I think, um, that he's converted. So, And how much do you know roughly that cost to do? So, you know, I, I can't speak for the 
current time, but in the past it was roughly around fifty grand. Yeah. You know, you provided the DeLorean, and then the conversion was another fifty thousand. So. Typically, if you're going to buy one already converted by him, they easily and he's had them go for uh, you know a, a you know a, a variety of prices, but typically they go between 100 and 150 thousand. Yeah, yeah, if you're buying one right just by itself already converted, so. Oh yeah, that is that is neat. I saw what the one of the original DeLorean or Back to the Future DeLoreans at Peterson too, and I literally just stared at it probably for about ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like that that i mean it was one of the hero it was the hero car that was because they had a handful of them, but that was the only hero car that was in all three you know oh wow yeah and so it's just like it was almost like you know i don't know staring at the queen or marilyn monroe or something like that when you know in real life you know? <laughs> it's something else the only one i've seen um well i've seen a couple in person but one that was screen used for sure was and it was left just rotting on the back lot at universal studios oh, so sad <laughs> it was the part three car that had been modified with a uh, volkswagen oh. chassis and it, it it had the uh you know, the time circuit board on the, the hood still, tubes. and, and yeah. it was just sitting out in the sun in the back lot. I was like, oh, my God. And that car, since then, they've done something with it. I know it's been restored or sold off, but at that point in time, and this is in the early 90s, mind you, um, it was still just sitting on the back lot. But I was like, oh, my God. You know, it's something to see. Now, my understanding, because you know, I've wa- probably like you, I've watched about every bonus feature on every edition of Back to the Future has been released since <laughs> Lord knows when. And I, I think they said, I remember one of the featurettes they had was that the prop designer, production designer, one of the two, the original one they had, he gave all these sketches and the DeLorean was much more futuristic. It looked much more complicated and spacey. And Zemeckis and Bob Gale, you know, who wrote and directed it, they went, no, 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 he, 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 he's, it's supposed to look like he made this in his garage. Yes. And they really, they really put emphasis on that, thankfully, because the conceptual drawings were very, I mean, they were very Blade Runner-ish, you know, um, futuristic and beyond. And they really wanted to make it, bring it back down to being more grounded of you got to make it look like this guy. He he's doing this in his garage, so it's got to reflect that. And I think you know, they weren't displeased with with the first guy's designs. I mean, because he was very talented. Obviously, it just wasn't what they were looking for, essentially. And if you know, if you really if you go back and you watch Back to the Future, and you look at all of Doc Brown's labeling, it's one of those classic, you know, kachunk kachunk you know, things yep. on the plastic that you just he just stick on things, almost like a label maker today. You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure our <laughs> listeners know exactly what label maker they're talking about, but. I grew up with those. I remember my dad actually had one of those. So yeah, that old school from the seventies and eighties for sure. And then of course they had the, 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 the one from uh, 2015, which is weird to think that the entire back to future trilogy is now in the past, but it is, I mean, it's still uh, timeless. For example, my niece is watching it for the first time right now. Oh, really? Um, so I'm, I'm curious to hear her take on it. And I, I told her you can, you have to watch this in sequential order. Do not, bounce no, you know, start yeah. one movie and then go back to the other um but so it'll be interesting to hear uh the new generation and, and their their take on it um so yeah it, it is kind of tough i still it has a lot of entertainment value but as with the years pour on obviously it's becoming a little more and more dated <laughs> they just didn't jump far enough in the future and hey, blade runner for that matter i mean blade runner came out in 1982 and hey 2019's in the, the rear view mirror and again we're not we don't have those flying cars yet so <laughs> Yeah, on that note, uh, was it uh, the sequel is twenty forty nine? Correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah, I love how they kept that idea, that nineteen eighties idea of the future, 
You know what I'm trying to say? Yes, they, they literally kept that, uh, you might say, timeline alive, and they kept it, the symmetry there. And it, and it, 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 it's they did it so well. Um, I mean, it, it, just especially by the, the way the movie shot and the sound and the soundtrack with Hans Zimmer was just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it, it makes you feel like you're back in the 80s again, but it's, it is the future of that original timeline. I don't I, mean, I don't know if anyone else noticed, but you know, in 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 the early 80s, mid 80s, uh, French cars like Peugeot and Renault were actually kind of starting to make a uh, entry into the American market. They didn't really end up working. But did you notice that the car that the main uh, character has in 2049 is a Peugeot. It's a flying Peugeot. Did you ever catch that? Oh, I did. That's right. It does have the Peugeot label yeah. on that. That's right. Yep. Gosh. That's... And I still like how they think, you know, because in the 80s, they didn't know any better. But, you know, I like how they kept in that timeline where Atari is still like Apple is now, you know, it became the dominant electronics manufacturer. Of the time, of the yeah. Day. I think the other big player in the original movie was like TDK. You know, TDK was huge in the future or supposed to be. I mean, going they're doing their best estimates uh, for what they were working with at the time. You know, who's going to be the, the uh, you know, most successful companies there in the future. All right, so they, we got the DeLorean across. All right, well, actually, I want to before we move, I want to move on or talk about a little bit about the uh, the old west version, or not the the 1950s version that went to the old west. Obviously, mm-hmm. I love that it had white walls on it. I always was really thrilled by that. Yes, I, I was too. <laughs> I thought that was great because it really that again staying grounded to you know he's having to fix this thing out of it i mean he's just a scientist working out of his garage and so what is he going to do he only has 1950s parts and pieces as resources so they really played true to that especially when they're looking at the original time circuit that burn out going how <laughs> this little piece of junk you know caused such a big problem and he goes look here's the issue it was made in japan and then marty corrects him what are you talking about doc all this best stuff is made in japan in the future unbelievable yeah but, <laughs> but it takes a huge circuit board of you know transistors and, and 1950s electronics tubes. To, yeah, to, to basically perform the same function. So, no, I, that is one of my favorites, uh, honestly, is that car, just because it's so heavily modified um, to, you know, get them to the past from the 50s. So, yeah. And of course, even uh, the, the, the highest strength alcohol couldn't power its engine. So, <laughs> you had to use a train to push it along. That's right. <laughs> Well, that was a big one. It was the DeLorean. Yeah, what, what's yeah, what's one one or more two you have in mind here? Extra movie cars here. Oh boy, you know, um, you know, we've mentioned again previous podcasts, but the um, the Mad Max, of course, that kind of comes in. It's old and new. I mean, you know, 2015 wasn't that long ago when we had Mad Max Fury Road and um, the old Ford Falcon. You know, mm-hmm. reared its uh, appearance again there. But uh, I, I was disappointed because Fury Road is just so brief. It was just at the very beginning, you know. It, it was at the beginning, and then you get a glimpse of it towards the end because the um, um, the villains of the movie actually fix the car, and it's it's they it's it's you know grinded down so it's all chromed out and reflective, you know, because it has no paint, so it's just raw metal. But you do see it towards the end there when he goes, "That's my car," and then it gets destroyed, <laughs> nonetheless. But. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's another one that uh, you know you don't see as much today. But every once in a while, depending on what car show you're at, there's a number of people that have theirs modified um, because that car was readily available in Australia mm-hmm. more so than the states. But um, there's a number of people that brought those over in the popularity, especially in the late '70s, early '80s. Um, but yeah, where does the future go? That that movie, you know, speaking of that movie. 
Um, I know they're still trying to work on a sequel, but a lot of that's been caught up and, and just... Uh, they're doing a series coming up, right? That's just about Fiorosa, is yes. my understanding. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's the... That's prequel. That's it's, prequel that's yeah. you know, getting worked in. So, um, yeah, it's hard to say where that'll go. Well, I'll um, be excited for that. You know, another kind of odd oddball, not oddball one, but fun one, is the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang car. That <laughs> is another... Well, the, you know JCB Heavy Equipment? Yes, uh, he o the the owner of JCP, or at least he did in the past. I don't know about now, but he used to own one of the one of the cars they used in the movie. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Of course, English based company of JCB. So, and, and yeah. if, if anyone doesn't know, I mean the 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 Chitty Chitty Bang Bang movie took a big leap from its source material, which was a book, but it was also written by Ian Fleming who also wrote James Bond. <laughs> oh, oh, I just learned something today myself. And if you read the original uh, novel, I think I have it somewhere, it basically is a James Bond book for kids. It really is. He <laughs> wrote it for his son, Casper, was my understanding, because I think it, it was one of those, like, his wife was like, write something for our kid for once. He doesn't oh, go. my gosh. <laughs> or something like that. But Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah. And I think, you know, to kind of wrap things up, we we really want to do a whole episode on this on its own sometime, but uh, you know, one of my favorite car movies of all time is Gone in 60 Seconds. Oh, yes, yeah. Both the remake with Nicolas Cage and also the original, very limited budget one from the 70s. <clears throat> yeah, that is. And, you know, again, the most recent one with Nicolas Cage from uh, 2001, I mean, the 1967 Shelby GT500 KR, with that paint job um, and just, uh, you know, that car, it was made, I guess it was reignited the popularity with that movie, reignited the popularity of the car to where uh, they're still making kit cars today. The Mustang, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. The, the, the Eleanor. Eleanor. Yep. is what it's called. And uh, uh, extremely popular, extremely popular. Again, just uh, another car that was, you know, from a particular era and iconic on its own and then put into pop culture. And here we are. We're still talking about it today. And you still see them today, depending on what car show you're at or where you're at. Now, I believe, uh, you know, kind of calling back to our Herbie reference as Herbie and Eleanor are the only two cars to get a billing in the credits as characters. <laughs> oh, that's right. Eleanor did get. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, Eleanor, I remember seeing that story in Eleanor. <laughs> well, I think we're going to start wrapping things up on this little casual chat. Do you have any uh, last uh, last comments, Adam? Before we do that, yeah. You know, the last thing I have to say is just uh, you know it's hard to say and and you just imagine where where we're going to go into the future. You know, will there be Will there be cars in the future that are going to be as iconic 30 years from now or 40 years from now as, you know, the, the 1981 DeLorean or the 1959 Cadillac Meteor Miller uh, Ecto-1? It's hard to say. Um, I, I certainly hope so, I, but I think it's getting more and more difficult for designers to come up with something that's mm-hmm. it's truly going to endure the decades and be part of pulp culture. But I, I'm hoping I'm hoping things do come to pass. Excellent. Well, with that said, just so everyone knows, we will we will be back for another episode here. Uh, please, by all means, uh, give us a good like. We love good likes. If you can leave a preferably positive um, comments about our show, that would be great too. In whatever podcast app you use, and by all means, check out those uh, those online links or our online sources we've also given you, including our Instagram page, which is Podcast Joyride, and our, also our parent company's website, which is. Uh, StarstruckCompany.com. There's all sorts of fun things there as well. So with that said, I think we're going to sign out, Adam. 
Sounds good. Till next time. Till next time. Signing out. Thank you.